So I'm going to jump right into it today, believing that this is a, a message that may hit some of you. Maybe it will hit all of us at one level or another. And it's important when we listen and we come into the Word of God that we take what we're hearing and begin to apply it to our lives. Because if we're just listening and not doing something with it, then we might as well be doing some other things today. But as followers of Christ, as believers in him, we believe in the power of God's word at work in our lives, especially when we apply it to our life situations. And we allow God to work in us and through us. And we've been talking about rising above because so many of us have been kicked down. Because so many of us are struggling even through this season. Whether it be mentally or physically or spiritually, it's been a difficult time for so many. And I believe that God's word calls his church to rise above the current circumstances and to look at things differently and to try to see things from his perspective rather than our own, than our own worldly perspective as we walk on this earth. I want to share a quick story about the Chicago Cubs. Now, people always tend to excuse their poor performance, but in Chicago, there was this team called the Hapless Cubs, and then prior to 2016, they had not won a World Series since, two, or actually, 1908. They had not won a series since 1908. And so for people in Chicago, excuses had become something that was just the norm. Maybe next year. Some of us Red Sox fans can appreciate that as well for many years of not quite making it. But when the Chicago Cubs, this was in an article by Harper's Magazine, says when the Chicago Cubs last won a World Series, this is prior to 2016, the automobile was still new and it was an untrusted invention. Most of the European monarchies had collapsed and there were two world wars that had been fought. Communism had risen and fallen and disco had come and gone and come and gone again. Some of you have some of those pants and clothes you can pull out today. But losing year after year for the Cubs was just what they did. More often their season was over by mid-August. Sometimes it came down to the last games of the season. And in, in fact, before his death, Jack Brickhouse, he was the, the great Cubs play-by-play uh, -play announcer, he excused the team by saying, Everyone is entitled to a bad century. So how do we rise above our past? You see, it's easy to make excuses for our past. Maybe life wasn't easy. Maybe there were some challenges. Maybe you did at one point have bigger dreams, but other things just became more important or got in the way to reaching your dreams. You may be someone who thinks, you know, because of my past, there is no way that I can rise above. Because of my, God can't possibly forgive me for all the things that I've done. Maybe you're someone who would say, you know, it's my friend's fault, or my parents' fault, or my spouse's fault, or my children's fault, or that teacher, or that coach's fault. And one of the things that we know about assigning fault is that it rarely, if ever, results in rising above. It rarely, if ever, results into rising above. 
What does it do? It keeps you firmly on the ground, kicking you down, keeping you down. It's something that you allow. So at some point, maybe in this whole thing, you might just decide, you know, I'm just entitled to a bad life. That's what I have. That's what I've been going through. That's what I've been facing. But what I want to share with you today is the good news of Scripture that says that that is not the call of our Savior for his followers. That is the call of defeat. That is the call of the enemy of our souls who came to kill, who came to steal, and who came to destroy everything that you own and try to destroy your life. But how do we get, begin to rise above our past? Where do we start? How does it happen? This morning we're going to learn from one of the most influential men in all of scriptures outside of Jesus Christ. You may be surprised to know that even the Apostle Paul was running from a past. One that involved education, one that involved scandal, one that involved violence, all sprinkled with a little touch of religion on the side. Or maybe a big name course of religion. So how did Paul rise above his past? That is what we're going to find out this morning. And Paul will give us some key insights on how we can rise above our past. The first thing we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul, who at this time was known as Saul, is that empty religion will not help you to rise above your past. Empty religion will not help you to rise above your past. Saul was very religious. He went to the best religious schools. He only listened to good Hebrew worship music. He stayed out of the shady places. He didn't drink or smoke, and he stayed away from all those sinners and heathens. He only went to Hebrew theater and watched their shows. He always strictly observed the Sabbath. Now, there's a song in the early 90s by a band called DC Talk called Jesus Freak. Ever heard of it? Saul would have been law freak. He would have been a law freak. Because everything was about the law and trying to live up to the law and doing everything that the law says. He wasn't content to just hear the law, to know the law, and to memorize the law. He was a man of action. He wanted to put it all in practice. He didn't just sit back and listen and take it in. And when anything challenged his religion, he was the first to step up and defend it. So when this new teaching came on the scene, Saul was all over it. He was passionate about his faith. Sometimes we say this about people who first come to Jesus Christ, and they go and they want to share the gospel with other people. We say that they're on fire for the Lord. Well, Paul was on fire for the law. He was passionate about it. This is not something he just did on Saturday, on the Sabbath. This was something that he lived, that he breathed, that he knew, that he acted out. And there was a new group that came from these people that were following this man named Jesus. And Paul, or Saul at the time, considered Jesus a false messiah. Somebody who was leading everyone else astray, specifically the uneducated and those that were the outcasts. He saw thousands at a time come to faith at a feast that they call Pentecost. And in fact, it disrupted the entire feast. See, something had to be done, and Saul 
was the person to get it done. Because he was not just a man of faith, not just a man of learning, not just a man of knowing what the law stated, but he was somebody who put it into action. He did not see the judgment or sin in his own heart. He only saw through the eyes of a defender of the faith. So here is how Paul, formerly known as Saul, can we say the artist formerly known as Saul? This is how he describes his former self. Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, you can read with me. It's going to be on the screens behind me. You may have your own Bible or Bible app. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. He says, we put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this, or for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. See, Saul had that old-time religion that we sometimes can sing about. Give me that old-time religion. No one could deny that. His faith was genuine. And he put it into action. But this religion didn't save him. It didn't help him rise above life's challenges. It just had him focused on what he should or should not do in the here and now. He was focused on the law. And the thing with that is that we can easily do the same. We could have what the Bible calls a form of godliness without the power. A form of godliness without the power. Do we as a nation, I'm getting off my notes here, do we as a nation have a form of godliness without the power? Can we be religious and attend services and do all the religious things without any power involved? This is a danger for us as a believers in Christ, as his church on this earth to take it beyond just a form of religion and have it impact every area of our lives. See, Paul warns Timothy about this later in his ministry in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. 
Verse 5. They will act religious. Everybody say act. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. You see, we can act religious. We can go to the best Christian schools and colleges. We can only listen to Christian music. We can stay away from shady places. We don't drink or smoke. We stay away from the heathens and the sinners. We never go to the movies. We have perfect church attendance. We can have all of those things and still be left without God. We can act religious, but reject the power that can change us. Reject the power that can make us different. Reject the power that can bring transformation in our lives, in our churches, and in our nation. Why? Because none of those things gives you what you will need to rise above your past. Why? Because you, have, you can have an outward form of religion, but deny the power that can make you godly. Deny the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Deny the power that can change you. If you're going to rise above your past, empty religion will not get you there. You'll find yourself just more empty if you try to go that way. Empty religion will not help you rise above your past. So you may say, Pastor, okay, well, so you told me how not to rise above my past. It's not going to be through religion. Then what do I need to do? How do I rise above it? What does scripture teach us? What examples are there for us to be able to say, I can rise above my past because of this person that I can see? Number two, only an encounter with Jesus will give you what you need to rise above your past. Only an encounter with Jesus will give you what you need to rise above your past. Now, I'm not putting any of these things down because all of these things can be helpful. But the scripture that, we, that we, we're going to read just in a moment does not discuss about your therapist or a friend or a spouse or a judge. It's not an encounter with those people or with those things, although those can be helpful and can help push us along in our faith. But it's an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. Only an encounter with Jesus brings lasting change. Where do we see that in Scripture? There's a passage where the trajectory of Paul's life was changed forever. And it involved a true encounter with Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, it gives us a description of exactly what happened here in this circumstance. And this was written by Luke, who was an outside historian, writing about what happened in the life of Saul who we now know as Paul. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. 
And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand into Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. You see, Saul had an encounter with the living God. And how do we know that? What's the proof? His life from that point on would never be the same again. In his zeal, he did things that he was not proud of, persecuting Christians, seeing them put to death. And as he looked back on his life, he wasn't proud of that. He was present when Stephen was stoned to death. And when Stephen looked up to heaven and saw at the right hand of the Father, Christ standing up to watch what was happening. And I wonder if the stoning of Stephen was burned in his memory day after day, and if that became the fuel for him to continue to reach people for Christ so that Stephen's life didn't end in vain, the one that he watched as the life was taken. You see, he actively persecuted the church that now he was building. The church he planned to destroy. He wanted to rid the world of them all. He wanted them dead or at least imprisoned. But one encounter with Jesus changed it all. It changed everything. He was transformed. He was changed. And isn't that the true measurement of the fruit? that we have been saved. It's that change. It's God working in our lives. We're not perfect right away, and there's definitely a lot of process. We never become perfect this side of heaven. But God continually works in us. He continually stretches us. He continually grows us. And we become transformed. Some things immediately, and some things over time. We need a divine encounter with the living Jesus Christ. Only an encounter with Jesus will give you what you need to rise above your past. Do you want to rise above your past? You must have a real encounter with Jesus Christ. The third thing and the last point this morning. How do we rise above our past? We live in God's grace. We live in God's grace. See, that earlier passage, Paul gives a little bit of his religious pedigree, the things that he did, but it didn't end there. Paul was living in grace. He was forgiven of his past. And this is what he says as he approached, and as he describes now what his and how he views the past that he once lived. He didn't make excuses. He didn't make a list of religious accomplishments. Here is what he said in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 14. It says, I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. We become righteous by faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. And I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. 
but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. See, Paul was made new. And it wasn't because of the things that he did. It wasn't because he followed the law. It was through the righteousness of Christ that he was made new and it transformed him. It made him a new man. It made him different. It made him approach life differently. It made him say things differently. It made him begin to do things that he never did before. His faith was now based on Christ's righteousness and not his own. Therefore, he can then walk boldly. He was willing to suffer for the gospel rather than making people suffer for it. Forgetting the past, he presses forward on what lies ahead. And for Paul, what lies ahead? What do we see knowing the history and the story of Paul? He planted churches all over the place. He wrote letters from prison even. He was persecuted and he was killed for his faith. And his impact is still over the church today. That's how powerful God used this one man who had been saved from a life of sin, religiosity, murder, and persecution. And we're still here as a church today because of what Paul did. We're still reading his letters today. That's the kind of impact that he had. Why? Not because of his own righteousness. Those are filthy rags to him. But because of Christ's righteousness working in him, it gave him the boldness to be able to step forward in all that God had called him to do. Press forward for the prize. As believers in Christ, we are called to win. We are called to win. We are called to victory. Victory may look different for each one of us. And it may have different timing for each one of us. Given our current conditions and the things going on in our nation, I feel like that there's one particular song that can become an anthem of change or reconciliation. There's a man named John Newton who had a true encounter with Jesus Christ. You may know one of his most famous songs, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. You see, this was written almost two and a half centuries ago in 1772. The words from this hymn were born from the heart and the mind and the experiences of this Englishman named John Newton. Having lived through a rather unfortunate troubled hood, he lost his, uh, his mother at the age of six. Newton spent a lot of his life just fighting against authority. He even went into the Royal Navy and deserted the Royal Navy in his 20s. Later, he was abandoned by a crew in West Africa, and he was forced to be a servant of a slave trader, but he was eventually rescued. On, return, on his return voyage to England, a violent storm hit and almost sank the ship, prompting Newton to begin his spiritual conversion 
as he cried out to God to save them from the storm. Here in this moment, we see this change beginning to take place in him. But upon his return, that change wasn't complete. Newton became a slave shipmaster, a profession in which he served for several years, bringing slaves from Africa to England over multiple trips. He even admitted to sometimes the abhorrent treating of those slaves as they were on his ships. In 1754, after becoming violently ill on a sea voyage, Newton abandoned his life as a slave trader. The slave trade, the seafaring, altogether, he left it behind. And he began wholeheartedly devoting himself to God's service. This is a man that God used. In later years, we know that Newton fought alongside of William Wilberforce. If you haven't seen the, the story or the movie Amazing Grace, you need to watch it. It's very powerful. And William Wilberforce was the leader of a parliamentary campaign to abolish the African slave trade. He described the horrors of the slave trade. And he wrote a tract supporting the campaign Newton did. Till the passage of the Slave Trade Act in 1807. Here is a man that when he sang about God's amazing grace, he knew what he was talking about. He experienced it. Now we see lyrics like, I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. And through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. See, this carries a much deeper meaning than just a sincere person's gratitude. Maybe he wouldn't have written Amazing Grace had he not gone through all the things that he did. Was he perfect? No. Did he do things in his past that he regretted? Yes. But was he forgiven? Yes. Was he changed? Yes. Did he do something about it once he was changed? Yes. So can we. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And grace, my fears relieved. See, that grace that God gives each one of us, we don't have to live in fear. We can live boldly like Paul did, like John Newton and like others of the past. Because of God's grace. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Because that hour you first believed, you were very fully aware of your sin, of your imperfections. That's how and why it's such amazing grace. How do we rise above our past? First, we recognize that empty religion will not help you to rise above your past. Second, we, an encounter with Jesus Christ is the only thing that will give you lasting change in your life and help you rise above that past. And third, live in God's amazing grace, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. 
we're all in need this morning of transformation. We can all say with the Apostle Paul that we have not yet achieved that perfection. Right? You can say that. I'm raising my hand. I'm there. But we focus on how many things? We focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. We look forward to lasting change, lasting transformation, because as God transforms us, we begin to walk boldly into what he's calling us to do. This morning, you may need God to begin a work in you. Maybe your past has kept you down. Only a true encounter with Jesus will bring that lasting change that you need. And you can begin that process today. You may be here today. You may be listening online. And maybe you've already asked the Lord to be a part of your life, and you've done that many years ago. But you just can't seem to get past your past. It's holding you back. The gospel would say to you to press on, to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, Christ Jesus, is calling you. He's calling you out. He's saying you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live with that shame and guilt. Live in God's amazing grace as John Newton and as the Apostle Paul did. Let your past inform your future to make a difference in our world. every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to say a prayer for you this morning. Maybe today you would like Christ to be working in your life. Maybe you've never accepted him. Maybe if you've never asked for forgiveness and you've never known to. Today is an opportunity that you can begin the process of really experiencing God's amazing grace. Begin the process of a true living encounter with Jesus Christ. You can give your life to him today, and it won't be perfect. Everything won't be flowers from the rest of your life, and there will be some times of struggle. But he will be with you, and he will make you and transform you and change you. And if you want to say this prayer this morning, you can do it in your own heart, however you would like to. The words are not magic. It's simply you dedicating and giving your life to Christ and asking him to forgive you of your sin. And every one of us, because none of us are perfect, could pray that prayer. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I have fallen short in areas of my life that I want to give to you today. Help me to have a true encounter with you, Jesus Christ. Bring lasting change in my heart and in my life. Make me new. Forgive me, Lord. Change me today. Let me be a person that walks in your grace boldly to do everything you've called me to do, not because of what I've done, not because I can accomplish salvation through a list of works, but because I gave my life to you today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer, I believe you're giving your heart to the Lord today. That's a first step in the process of everything he wants to give to you, everything he wants to do in your life. I'm going to have everyone, just, let's just stand right where you are as I close. And I've, I've done this every so often, but I think it's important even today. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me because we de we're declaring here Ephesians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14 over our lives. So I would like you to repeat after me here as we close out this morning. 
I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. God bless you. Rise above your past this morning and may God continue his work in your life as you overflow to the life of others. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.